I can, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what would we do without it? Um, so this morning, we're going to continue uh, our uh, series on unity. It's the last one. Um, if anything, it's nice just to hear some stories instead of just the preaching. So um, I like just listening to you guys. <laughs> but this morning is the final one. Um, I don't know if you've gotten sick of it already, listening to Unity nonstop, um, but I hope you haven't, because for me, just doing the study myself has been completely enriching, and I have wanted to give you guys what I have learned and what I have felt inspired to give you guys. Um, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this, and it's just spoken to me how, how deep this topic is, how, how much we need to focus on it. Um, and not, I suppose, get complacent when it comes to unity. Um, I'm going to read entire Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 16, not, not the entire Ephesians. Um, so this is the last time you'll hear from it from me for a while. So it goes... Perfect. All right. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the body of peace. Bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ." We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by every ligament with which it is equipped, and each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth, in building itself up in love. Before we delve into this, let us pray and ask God to bless his word as it already is blessed, but that it's blessed in our hearts. Almighty God, we come before you, Father, once again. We come before you, Lord, hungry and thirsty for your word, asking that we have our fill from the Spirit, Lord. We thank you for all that you give us, that grace was given to us by your son thank you for all that the church has father and i pray that all that we do have 
that we use to glorify you, Father. I pray for this morning's message that it be grafted into our hearts and we don't forget what we've learned in this series, Father, that you, Lord, treasure unity and so should we. Thank you for your spirit that is within us all, Father, and keeps us together. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So, like I said earlier, this is the final uh, portion. Um, if you've missed one, uh, don't worry. They all, I mean, even though it's meant to be sequential, they do stand alone, I believe, as well. Um, so today we're going to focus on verses 13 to 16. And it is until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the full measure, to, to the measure and the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. So we're going to look in verse 13 now into maturity. Until all of us come into the unity of faith, into knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity. If you Google the word maturity, and I always begin with Google not because it's my favorite reference point, but I'm always curious what other people see when they, where they might Google something. Um, so I typed in the word, and there was a lot of different definitions. Um, and I suppose it speaks to the complexity of the word. Um, talk to a psychologist about maturity, and you'll, you'll get along um, talking to about it. But the general idea is centered on the idea of something developing or growing in size. You, know, you, you can talk about your superannuation growing or maturing uh, financially. We can also look at the way human beings physically grow uh, as we get older. We, our bodies mature um, from being childlike to adult-like. Now, when we look at maturity and it relates to emotions as well, we see that some people can maturely control their emotions. Uh, when, when challenged emotionally, they have the maturity to not break down or outbursts or stuff like that. When I look at new workers at work and they're unexperienced in the role, it just speaks to their immaturity of understanding the job. and They ask questions and they require a lot of coaching and guidance before they're functioning well and independent in their role. And after a while, when they start maturing in a role and understanding comes, they begin to contribute to the role. So generally speaking, in my mind, maturity is about growing up. It is about development and not remaining in a childlike state. In verse 13, we are called to be mature, in the full stature of Christ. It's a big statement. What does that even mean? Can I be completely Christ-like? Is that, is that even possible? In the context of Ephesians 4 here, in my opinion, it is about us individually and as a whole growing 
and our lives moving towards the head. It is about maturing from knowing Christ and being receptive to what comes from the head of the body and to live out that calling that we were asked for in the beginning in the body. In verse 14, it says, We must no longer be children tossed to and fro about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and their scheming. Verse 14 here tells us not to be children anymore. But aren't we taught to be children sometimes? Didn't Jesus say to be childlike? But that's about humility, that's about um, our humility and innocence in faith, not about being childlike in our conduct. Here it talks about trickery and being blown about by every wind of doctrine. The, the New Testament is, has consistent teaching about not being in a childlike state when it comes to our conduct as Christians. In Hebrews 5, 13, 14, For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. We are called to be mature believers. Paul describes in Ephesians what immature believers look like. And one of them saying is not to be like children. To be immature is to be childlike. Children are like little boats in a stormy sea, entirely at the mercy of the wind and the waves. Paul paints a picture here of being immature and that's about being tossed to and fro by the waves and swung around by the shifting winds of different teachings and different doctrines. This is what an immature Christian looks like according to Paul, whirled around by fresh gusts of teaching. The immature Christian never seems to know their own mind or come to settled convictions. Their opinions tend to be possibly of the last preacher they've heard or the book they've read and an easy prey to all the new fads that come out. The word trickery here is kybea, meaning dice play and therefore trickery, craftiness and deceitful undertones. How easy is it to trick a child? I know parents here would probably say it's pretty much easy and probably a lot of fun as well. Um, I remember, I asked Melanie's permission before I shared this story. When, when she was little, most of you remember this because I know I'm not the only guilty one of doing this, where we would go up to her and go, got your nose. And in her, in her panic that we actually took her nose, would come running after you and grab it back out of her hand, out of our hand and put it back in her face and she was satisfied that her nose has returned. One time I thought I'd be extra tricky, go, got your nose and I put it in my mouth. Now, thinking, oh... I've bested her, but what, come, what came next was completely took me by surprise. This little fist of fury came straight into my mouth and took her nose back. <laughs> I never did it again. <laughs> so how many times do parents trick their children? Whenever they want them to behave or eat things they don't want to eat. Um, so tricking children is not necessarily always 
hard. It's quite easy. And it's because of their development. It speaks to where they are in life because they haven't grown and understood that your nose is always on your face. So children are vulnerable and they're not equipped to deal with the world without their parents guiding them and equipping them to deal with the world as they grow up. Now, if the parents themselves aren't equipped properly, then how are the children going to be equipped? Maturity offers stability. Being stable amongst the wind and the waves does not mean that you won't wobble around a little bit. If anyone stood in the surf and been hit by waves but had sure footing, you moved around a little bit, but you didn't get knocked over. This is what stability offers. It's sure footing, and maturity gives us stability. It's about biblical truths keeping us grounded amongst all the teachings and doctrines out there that seek to knock us over. When I look at children who grew up in homes where parents have a chaotic lifestyle, it trickles down to their children. And when their children grow up, they too have a chaotic lifestyle and it's, and it's a cycle. And there's no stability. And this is the same when it comes to believers. The homes or the churches that we call our homes need to offer a stable environment whereby we are given the opportunity to thrive. And this cannot happen if we are chaotic in faith, chaotic in our beliefs, and not grounded in the truths of the word. Paul tells us that we are to grow into maturity, into the full stature of Christ. Maturity is not just for the individual. It is for the whole church to be mature. In Ephesians 4, Paul's idea of a church is seen as a single organism, the body of Christ, that is to grow up in adult stature. The church's goal should be forever to mature in unity. And that comes from knowing Christ deeply, trusting Christ deeply, and growing up into Christ. When Paul talks about this body, he's not giving us a physiological lesson or physiology lesson on how the body works. But he talks about how the body should be growing. These 16 verses are a tangible way for the body to grow and be edified. So how does the church grow into maturity? Well, Paul gives it to us here in verse 16. It grows by truth and love. When we allow ourselves to be tossed to and fro by the waves and the winds, then the church condemns itself to immaturity. What we need is truth and for it to be spoken in love. There needs to be a balance of these two. What Paul calls for in this, and the word he uses, literally means truthing in love. <laughs> this has the notions of maintaining, living and doing the truth. Now, why do we need a balance? Surely truth is enough, right? Well, think about those who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's, God's truth. Definitely a beautiful thing. But sometimes deliver their arguments 
to others in a way that's combative and it causes conflict. They flex their muscles and are unrelenting when speaking the truth. But in the manner that they give their truth falls on deaf ears. How many times have people spoken things to you where it's probably a good thing, but the manner they give it to you, it just you just don't listen. So I, I commend people's bravest, braveness in this. But I also warn you, when you're talking to others about matters concerning the gospel and truth, that your conduct and the way that you give this message needs to come in love. We saw the morals in verse 2, patience, forbearance, love, etc. On the other hand, we have those who make the opposite mistake. And they're focused completely on brotherly love and are prepared to sacrifice truths to maintain us. And this is not good on its own either. Truth becomes hard if not softened by love, and love is soft unless strengthened by truth. Paul calls us to have both. And we have a Holy Spirit of truth and fruit of the Holy Spirit to give us this. Paul describes this as a road to maturity. It is a truth that we ground ourselves in and conveying that in love. Now, this whole series that I've done, it's to promote unity, quite obviously. My goal, like I said in the beginning, and I've repeated a few times, is that we CLF, who have control of what CLF does, to grow as one, and when trials test us, that our bond remains strong. Now, I'm not sure where people might stand here in terms of their opinions on where they think CLF is at in terms of unity. Some may think that we are good at unity, and some may think that we are not good at unity. To those who think we are good at unity... I give you this. The church will always appear unified and peaceful until it's met with trials and that bond is tested. Trials will always test people. It tests families, organizations, and it tests the church. So don't be complacent and that everything will be okay. These 16 verses here give us something to hold on to to fortify what unity is. And those who think that we may not be unified, I ask you this, what are you doing to contribute to the unity of CLF so that it is strengthened? Instead of being worried about how ununified we might be, let's get to work to building it up. We have 16 beautiful verses here that offer so much if we succumb to its teaching. I want CLF to be an empowered church and empowered in unity. I don't want to see us tossed to and fro by the waves, by every doctrine of teaching. But I want us to be empowered by the truth that we proclaim to be the truth in our lives. And that we have sure footing in this. Paul starts off this 
series here for us. I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. He goes into humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. He's talking about morality here, not structures of churches. You could have the best well-oiled structure of a church, but if you take out its morality, then what do you have left? You've got nothing. And the message has lost its meaning. We have here, we are to maintain every unity in the bond of peace. We are to be emphatic about peace. We saw that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit have created an indestructible body, but that we must maintain it with peace. We saw last time that we have been given gifts from the Spirit to edify the body and that everyone is valued by the head and we all have a function. And today we explored maturing as believers, that we are to grow as believers, not to be tossed around by every wind of doctrine or teaching. We are to be stable in faith maturity offers stability. We're given glimpses here of what a healthy church looks like. And the question is not just for the leaders or whether we want this, but it is for the whole church to ask whether they want this. And if they do want it, then it's about getting there and doing the work. Is, are these 16 verses achievable? Yes. The question is not to ask, is it achievable? But do we want to achieve this? As we continue in our journey as a church, we're going to have trials. We're going to have to make some really big decisions, whether it's this year, next year, 20 years from now. But what I want us to remember is what we've learnt from Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 16. That even after this series is completed from the pulpit, that you guys continue to study this at home and bring this back to CLF. I really pray and hope that we can be a healthy church, a church that, that speaks to the word of truth, speaks to the gospel of the good news. I love you all very sincerely and I hope and pray that this church continues to grow every day into the full stature of Christ. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer one more time. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you offer us something that we probably can't achieve anywhere else and that's stability in you. We thank you that we have a dad who cares so deeply for us and offers us sure footing in truth. I pray, Lord God, for this church. I pray that CLF continues to be faithful to the gospel, faithful to you, and listening to what your spirit has to offer us. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that you have given this church and to all believers, and I pray that we can honor that grace by our conduct together. 
I pray, Father, that this church is unified by you, Father, and that you work in everyone's hearts here, that they can contribute to the unity, Lord. We thank you for every believer here, Lord, and we pray for those who may not yet believe that they can come to know you through us, Father. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.